Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. America's voice of reason. Boyd Matheson on Utah's home for elevated conversation. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Well, many of the headlines today are about the Supreme Court hearing oral arguments in two cases regarding President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan. And a decision most likely won't be issued until later in the year, probably May or June, as they get towards the end of the cycle there. Today's arguments and the judges' reactions uh, give us some really interesting insight into where things are, what the conversations will likely be as this case gets decided. Uh, So as we look at that, we can look at it in terms of standing, separation of powers, and long-term problems. So the headlines are going to be the political battles. Let's get beyond that. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Really pleased to have Beth Akers joining us, senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute and an expert in labor economics and the economics of higher education, which is what we're really looking at today. Great piece in the Hill. Beth, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Boyd. Uh, so let's let's dive into this. Uh, there really seems to be kind of these two competing things going on today. One is kind of the major questions doctrine, and then the other is mm-hmm. uh, standing. And so uh, let's start with the uh, the major yeah. questions doctrine. Yes. Yeah, so now I have to tell you, I'm an economist who has followed <laughs> this issue very closely, so I'm going to give you sort of the layman's interpretation of this. But, um, you know, so what we heard today was an argument of the two cases that were trying to strike down the president's effort to cancel student loan debt. Now, the obstacle that both of those cases had to overcome in order to make the case that the cancellation plan is unlawful um, was that they had both experienced damages as a result, and that's the standing argument. So really, a huge portion of the conversation today was over whether or not these entities had the right to even sue uh, the administration over the cancellation. So for people who are not lawyers, this is not hugely satisfying because, of course, we're interested in the merits of the case. We want to know, does the White House have the authority to cancel student debt, right? That's the question that we can sink our teeth into. And instead, we're talking about... You know, does this entity that's sort of affiliated with some states, do they actually experience sufficiently concrete damages in order to have a case? I mean, it gets very, very down in the weeds very quickly. So the point is, is that we spent a lot of time arguing whether or not we could even be there today to talk about the merits of the case. Um, You know, what may happen is that conservative justices, if they, you know, really want to look at the merits of the case, but don't feel like that standing, um, that argument for standing was, you know, sufficiently not, they can just say this is, um, you know, rises to a higher standard that will allow us to overlook the question of standing. That is, whether or not the suing entities really have the right to bring in order to look at the more interesting question about, you know, the potential overreach from the White House and, and are they really, you know, is President Biden trying to do something that really should be left to Congress? 
Yeah, and so as, as we look at those two components, now I want to get into your wheelhouse, Beth, uh, and that is the dollars and cents of all of this, uh, because I, I, do, yeah. I do think it's so fascinating to look at it. And, of course, you look at the impact. Uh, Justice Roberts was talking about uh, someone graduating from high school and one going off to college, the other being an entrepreneur and starting their own business, mm-hmm. both take out loans. You know, uh, if you're the student, uh, you can get forgiveness. If you're the entrepreneur, you can't. Um, and then, of course, mm-hmm. we have the skyrocketing costs of higher education. So uh, so take us down that rabbit hole for a minute in terms of what you've been looking at in terms of the economics of all of this. Absolutely. So it's much tougher for me to tell you if what the White House is doing is legal <laughs> and much easier for me to tell you that it's actually just a terrible idea. Um, so, yes, the, the line of questioning from Roberts was really helpful in pointing out you know, we're we're on this quest, or I should say Democrats are on this quest to bail out people who have student debt. And that's consistent with this narrative that has been built by popular media that people with student debt are really struggling. These are people in our economy who need help. But it's so easy to forget that actually having a college degree, getting to go to college is a tremendous privilege that sets people up to be in better economic circumstances than the vast majority of the rest of Americans. And so Robert's question really pointed that out and to say, like, why are we advantaging in terms of, you know, providing a bailout to people with student loan debt, really without any regard to whether or not they're even facing financial hardship? So this is really, you know, the issue that I have with any sort of policy that's trying to bail out borrowers is that they tend to be um, shockingly regressive in that, you know, a lot of the people who have the most student debt are very high earners. And so, you know, you can you don't have to have a Ph.D. in economics to know if you're giving a lot of money from taxpayers to people who earn a lot of money. I mean, that's not a great plan, right? Something's broken with that when we know that there are plenty of people in the country who need support. And so, you know, from a policy perspective, it's just a bad idea in terms of fairness. Bigger concern even than that is what happens to our system going forward. You know, as you pointed out. College is insanely expensive. Now, it's worth it. On average, these degrees deliver huge dividends in terms of job opportunities and potential earnings. So that's why it's expensive. But what happens if we start telling students, oh, just borrow whatever you need because you're not going to pay it back anyway? Well, guess what? If I'm running a college, I'm going to start jacking up my price because the students couldn't care less what they're paying. (laughs) And so to me, this incentive change of what's going forward in terms of the student's incentive to borrow, the college's incentive to charge a price that's in line with value, that all goes out the window if we move forward with this plan and it kind of blows up the whole system. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Yeah, and that uh, the policy question is is where I keep coming back to and and looking at what is sometimes you know what in our rush to alleviate the suffering of some, we often create more suffering for many uh, in the process. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things uh, that I came across today in terms of where we currently are. So currently, from uh, from 1994, uh, you could, under a circumstance, if you held a large amount of student debt. Uh, you could pay 20% mm-hmm. of your income uh, over the course of 20 years or so, uh, and then the remainder would be forgiven. Uh, there's also, yes. uh, now under the president's new rule, uh, it would be that you just have to pay 5% over 10 years, yeah. and then the rest could be wiped out. So, again, the economics of that uh, seem to be rewarding bad behavior rather than re- rewarding good behavior. And that seems, uh, at our house, we always try not to reward <laughs> bad behavior, but it seems like that's what we're doing. Exactly. You know, when the the loan program first started, you know, if you took out a loan that you couldn't afford, you were sort of up a creek. And then incrementally over time, we've increased the generosity of the safety net. So if you're someone with a lot of debt and you just really can't afford to pay it back, I mean, you know, I'm a conservative, but I'm not going to make someone carry a really unaffordable student debt for the over the course of their lifetime, right? That just doesn't work when education is the primary mechanism we have for social mobility. But when you make the safety net so generous that everyone is going to plan to take advantage of it, right. it's no longer a safety net. It's really just a giveaway program. And that's what's happened. It, along with the cancellation effort that the White House is working on that we're talking about today, they announced another plan to expand that safety net even further. So that is just so insanely generous that, it, again, it's not a safety net. It's really just a giveaway. And it's a giveaway that people are going to plan on and they're going to think about how much they can afford to pay for college now that they've got that money coming to them on the back end. So really takes out all the all the incentives that we want to be in place in a market. Yeah, and I think that's just the, the critical conversation that we get to. And so often these political maneuvers and political promises prevent us from actually having the good policy discussion uh, that will actually get us the kind of results that will move everybody forward uh, in the long haul. And so as you look at this from a, from an economic standpoint, Beth, what are the things that we should be thinking about? What kind of conversations should Congress be having uh, as it relates to higher education? Well, a couple things. I think it is important that we have that safety net for borrowers. And what we've got now is working pretty terribly. So it needs reform, but not the reform that the White House is talking about. The second important thing is that right now, institutions are not on the hook. Institutions, meaning colleges and universities, they're really not on the hook to deliver much at all. Yeah. We've got to start holding them to a higher standard. So, for example, a college that's really barely graduating any of their students and settling them with tons of debt and even never getting them into jobs that make that debt affordable, they're going to continue to be on the payroll of Department of Education through the loan system, through grant system, in perpetuity. There's nothing that's stopping them going forward. And that's just because of the way that we've designed the financial aid system. So, you know, taxpayer dollars are on the line here. I mean, I'm not a huge big government person, but this is a case where we need to have the government stepping in and holding institutions accountable to certain standards, whether it be you know, how many of their students are graduating, how many of their students are able to pay back their loans or or even able to get good jobs. So it sounds pretty basic, but uh, it's an important thing that Congress should be working on. Uh, Absolutely. Great insight. Beth Akers, senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, expert on labor economics and the economics of higher education. And uh, Beth, really appreciate your perspective today. This is so important that we get the government. Government has a role to play, to be sure. Uh, but if we can have the transparency, accountability, and accountability for results in the end, 
Mm-hmm. I think that's a much better conversation. But Beth, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right, again, that's Beth Akers from AEI. And in all of this, as we look at what's going on at the Supreme Court in terms of those arguments today, again, that's really kind of the legal component to it. But there's a broader, bigger question that we have to get to as well. If all we're doing is we're going to debate whether a state has standing or has been harmed because of what the president wants to do in forgiving student loans or whether we're just having the debate over President Biden overreaching uh, Congress, kind of violating that major questions doctrine of what needs to be done by Congress. uh, Those are important components to this, but it's not the whole thing. And so we have to make sure we don't get lost in the headlines Uh, And we actually get down to the bigger issues beyond the headlines, because that's where we all can think again. We can think different. And as Beth pointed out, we've really got to get to the transparency component. The higher education folks have got to be part of the process, transparency. And then what are the results so that we can hold people accountable for what those results are producing for individuals, for families, communities and for the country? With Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, We're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.